Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Women Emerging podcast. I'm Julie Middleton, Director of Women Emerging. Every week I speak with women around the world of different ages and in different sectors about how they lead, because we need many more women leading in the world today. We explore how women lead differently and do it their way, which is authentic, fulfilling and highly effective. Talking about feminism isn't enough. We have to talk about patriarchy too. Hi, I'm Julia Middleton, Director of Women Emerging and your podcast host. This is the third in a series of three episodes with Priyanka, talking to Priyanka about the discussion she's having with her nine-year-old daughter, Arnavi, about leading. And one of the things that she's discovered is that she spoke too much and endlessly about feminism and sort of, there was a moment when Arnavi said, but you didn't tell me anything about the patriarchy. In the last two episodes, we've covered everything from um, what they what they learnt and discussed after watching the Barbie film, um, how to nurture ambition, how to balance being a tomboy and a girly girl, how to accept prizes at school, individual prizes at school, while recognising the team effort as a leader, how to create sacred time for sacred conversations, these kinds of sacred conversations between a mother and her nine-year-old daughter about leading and much, much more. This week, we go a little deeper into some of the issues that, that we've raised over the last two weeks. And we hear from also, not just from Pianka this time, but just a little bit from Arnavi herself about her own ambitions and her own thinking about leading. So first, though, let's start with Priyanka. Priyanka, I've been thinking endlessly about the last two episodes, um, which have been a total delight. Do you know, I remember one of my daughters saying when she was sort of 18, 17, 18, that she was not a feminist, that she thought that she she lived in a sort of post-feminism era when the 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 the, the battle was won and um there was nothing yet left to fight for. There was she sitting in London. Um and um she held that position for I think about four or five years until she really got to work and actually beyond getting to work till she got like one or two years into work and it was clear that she was going to be very good. Right. At which point she became a feminist because <laughs> she could see it and hear yeah. it. And I remember her declaring one day, arms astride, I am now a bra-burning feminist. <laughs> and and uh, it's a lovely story, but it also does make me think that I got lots of things wrong, probably aged, you know, you're an expert in er early learning, so 
almost inevitably I got it wrong between the age of naught and five. And then I definitely must have got it wrong at the age of nine and not had the conversations in the car that you're having. And right through, because I think I allowed the bubble of home to become the dominating force in my daughter's lives. And they just did not recognize what was going on with other women outside their own bubble. And um, it took them a long time to recognize it and to be sort of slapped across the face when it hit them themselves. Um, but you're discussing patriarchy. We, we, when we talked about the Barbie movie, you talked a little bit about this issue of introducing the concept of patriarchy to your daughter, age nine. Um, tell me more about it. Why is it so important? And how do we make sure that, that we get the balance of, of, of telling them about it, but not letting it consume them? Yeah, I, I think that's really important. I think that's actually important for any, any problem that you that you're exposing this to going back to our other conversation about what problems do you want to solve? How do you do that in an age appropriate way where they're not pulled down by it? They're not, they're not becoming anxious about the world that we live in. Um, but they actually feel confident that they, there are, there are certain problems that they might be able to be a part of the solution for. Um, but what, what I wanted to say first is I can really relate to your daughters. And I grew up in an incredible household of three girls and one boy. And my dad never raised us to believe that we were different. Or I want to say, especially me, I think it was a little bit different for my sisters, but I grew up believing that anything is possible. Anything I put my mind to is achievable. I can do whatever I want in the world you know, and, and we, I was just never treated differently to how a, my brother was treated or how any other boy I had ever seen be treated. And when I got to work that like my mind was blown and I was like, not every girl grew up like this. So when it comes to now with my daughter, I think this, there's two things at first, as she pointed out, I hadn't talked about patriarchy to her. I had talked about women leaders and feminism and women's rights. And that was because that was what was important to me at this age and stage of my life as I'm navigating that, because I didn't when I was younger, um, but without talking to her about the context. And so um, with patriarchy, for the way that we've approached it is to talk about it in the way that it came up in the Barbie movie, in that this was a, a context, this was a system. Um, and what are the strides that have been made? Like I gave the example of Mallory Towers. What has happened in the last 100 years? So it's really from a solution-focused perspective, there have been incredibly positive steps that allow you to go to school, that allow me to work full-time, that, you know, that all of these things. Um, what is that? But how do we get to a stage where it's not about allow, right? Where, where are we going to get to a stage where we're not using the word allow and permission for women? And those are the conversations about patriarchy, women's leadership or feminism that we're having. And I think there, you know, there's such negative views from a previous generation on feminists and feminism. Um, and so if I maybe want to say about, you know, how, what, how is it that she's still aware of the hidden aspects of patriarchy in even in my life. I don't have all the answers. So there are definitely 
still aspects of my life that I, I haven't been able to fix or solve or fight. Um, and not just because it's in my immediate day to day, but of like family or household or work, but also because it's societal, it's in the country we live in, it's in the global context, it's post COVID exasperated, it's, you know, and it, it's those conversations in an age appropriate way to say there are some things that I think I know what to do about and there are some things that I don't know what to do about and I'm figuring it out as I go and maybe you'll help me figure it out as you grow and um, that that's kind of how we approach it. Give me an example give me an example of something that she sees as patriarchy. I, th I think certainly in our family there is still an expectation, no matter how incredible and hands-on my husband is, and he really is. And um, so this is not a point of criticism. It's just the way that it is for now, is there is still an expectation that I take 100% of the responsibility for the children's extra activities, um, their play dates, their friendships, their, you know, my husband's really involved. He'll do pickups and drop-offs at school and activities, but I, I decide which activities um, I know that like if you ask me today what time was Anavi or Yuvan at whatever activity and what time do they need to pick up and which friend is coming over and at what time I don't need to look at my calendar um, I, I know all of that um, my I will put it into my husband's calendar I will print it out and put it in the fridge it's also in the children's bedroom so they're aware he'll still phone me when I'm traveling sometimes to say, what, what are they doing again today? What, where do I need to drop them off and take them to? And it's never with like, I don't want to do it, or you've left me with the responsibility because he's happy to do it. He wants to be as involved. He'll watch every gymnastic show. He'll go to every karate tournament and watch the cricket match and take her horse riding, be at the swimming galas, sometimes more than I will because I travel more than he does. But the hidden aspect of patriarchy that I still think we live that is a very real part of my day-to-day -day life is that the mental load of the scheduling the cancellations the bookings the shows the registrations is all on me um and and I, and that's something I had to tell her um and I did tell her but when she first asked me I didn't know how to tell her because I didn't want her to feel bad about it so I needed to tell her in a way that she doesn't feel guilty about it that it's because of her or it's about the children and I had to tell her in a way that this is just the way that it is in our home, because historically, this is the way that it has been for women and mothers. I suppose that leads on really into the, your next one, which is the conversations about self-care. Because, um, you know, knowing that there is so much weight and there's so much orchestrating to be done, self-care is is a very high priority isn't it how do you, how do you introduce the concepts well you're not introducing the concepts are you because Anbi's leading you're not leading these conversations but how do you weave in self-care yeah I, I think that even though she's leading the conversations when we talked about experiences I think self-care is an experience and it's something that you don't have to necessarily have to talk about all the time you have to make sure that she is practicing and she's been given the tools and the time to practice self-care. She is nine. She does have emotional needs. She's got 
friendships that work on one day and the next day they don't. She's got things that she's good at and things that she's not. And she questions that and insecurities. She's got teachers that she really likes and teachers that are hard on her. So she's got all the normal day-to-day life things of a nine-year-old. And the self-care that I think is important for her is to, A, have the vocabulary to express herself and her emotions. So, you know, talking about, and the only way to do that is if I talk about how I'm feeling and she hears all these amazing feeling words and then more than just happy, sad, worried, angry, you know, that they're frustrated, they're excited, they're curious, they're peaceful, they're like all all the different emotions that one experiences in the day to normalize that. Um, To normalize anger, I think is a big part of self-care. There are definitely things that she feels angry about. And often we tell children, don't be angry, it's anger is not good. Um, but actually as parents, we then show anger to our children. So we're, it, it's such a hypocritical statement. Um, so what, you know, as part of our self-care, I think anger is a big part of it, is to say it's okay to be angry. Angry is a very normal emotion. It's how we act when we're angry that we need to be in control of. And so that self-management and emotional regulation and so then it's the skills of mindfulness and breathing techniques and you know we do little children's meditations in the evenings um and and the space to articulate those and this is not this is not about a safe space for the leadership conversations we're having but a safe space to articulate the emotions that she's feeling um and a safe space and to say i don't want to talk to you right now and for that to be okay and a, a space to say leave me alone and that to be okay. Um, at a safe space to say, I want to go outside in the middle of a heated discussion and for that to be okay. Because what she's saying is, I am not in control of my emotions right now at any of those points. So give me time until I am. Um, and so that's that's one of the aspects of self-care. I think the other is, you know, an example is Anavi was really bullied at school at, at when she was about seven or eight for um, for a World Book Day dress up. And um, she wanted to be a witch. And she was, uh, I forgot, I'm going to forget that. I think Winnie the Witch. And I don't know if, you know, you or listeners are familiar with Winnie the Witch, but Winnie the Witch is a very haphazardly put together witch. She's very colorful, haphazardly put together witch with oversized jumpers and um, a hat, which has like a, it's a purple hat even. I don't even think it's a black hat that has like a moon and a star on it, you know. So it's um, not not your typical witch's costume. And so we we put together this costume for her and we made it all at home. Like I took a piece of cardboard and put this witch's hat together and got her an oversized jumper of mine. I mean, a jumper of mine, which was, became an oversized jumper for her and, you know, all of these things. And she walks into school and she got really teased at school by the other girls to say, you're really, you must be really poor because your mom made you an outfit and didn't buy you an outfit. And after that, she was left out of lots of games, birthday party invitations. She didn't get them, you know, for, for about a year. Um, and um, the girls were really mean. And this is, this is a seven-year-old, right? So they, they were just really mean. Um, and, you know, when it, it got to the stage where she was wetting her bed again. And you know, it was a really difficult time for her and for us. And at some point when, when she started wetting her bed, my husband and I had this conversation to say, what, what do we do? 
do we go into the school and make a fuss and address it and say, why hasn't the teacher noticed and done something about this yet? Um, and I said, you know what? I first want to see what she does. I first want to ask her one. I want to give her that choice. Does she want us to come and speak to the teacher and address it or ask to speak to the parents of these children? Um, or do we want to ask her if she wants to do something about it? And we gave her, again, it was about agency and choice. And it was a real leadership building moment um, where she said, no, I, I don't know what to do, mommy, but I'd like to tell them how I feel, but I just don't know what to tell them. And so we practiced in the mirror at home the kinds of things she needs to say back to the girls in the playground, the kinds of things she needs to go and say to her teacher. And so I had to give her the words. It's not to say that they were her words, um, but we gave her the words till she felt confident and comfortable to say them. And she went to school and she said them. She said them to her friends, well, her bullies, <laughs> and she said them to her teacher. And what's incredible is now she is one of the most popular girls at school. A lot of these old bullies at seven are now her friends at nine. Um, and she's, she, forget about only for herself, if she sees somebody else being treated in a way that they shouldn't, she'll be the first to go and stand up for them and say, that is not okay. Um, and I, and I, I'm so proud of her for stepping up into that when we gave her the choice. But I'm also in a way proud of us as parents to not feel that we needed to go and solve her problems for her, um, which is a really easy thing to step in and do at the age of seven. Um, but it's it's like what I'm saying is if you're if you're doing it for her at seven, she's going to want you to do it at 14. Um, and and then when you ask her to go do it herself at 14, if she doesn't have the foundational skills, it's going to be even harder then and she might not be able to. And. Um, and so now I'm not, I'm not saying that she'll never get bullied again, but I'm a little bit more confident in her abilities to handle that situation, but also to know that she can always come to us to talk about it and we'll figure it out together. Um, and, and that she, you know, she wrote this card uh, in school where she, you know, I'm trying to think of the exact words, but she says, you know, mom, you always encouraged me to be my best, even when it was hard. You you showed me what it's like to be a risk taker. I, I, you know, I you helped me when I fell. You kept me well when I was tired. And then her last line is, I will always be strong with you and thanks to you. And I hope you always keep going too. And that's, that's the way it, it ends. And what I love about that is she knows she's not alone. And I think that's a really powerful leadership trait. She knows that to be strong, to be a risk taker, to be resilient, she needs people to hold her up in the times that are hard. And, and for now, that's me. And I hope it will always be me. But it also is the safety net of others. She's going, I feel like it's the, 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 the foundation for openness to ask for and receive help. Um, and, and I, I hope that that's how I'm raising her is to know that that's, that's what it means to be strong. Yeah. 
they always say leadership is so lonely. And at one level, leadership is lonely. But at another level, it shouldn't be, couldn't be, can't be. Doesn't have to be. Yeah. Priyanka, I think the last thing you told me about is that, um, is it at the end of the school year that you sort of sit down and sort of goal set to your young future leader? Um, you do that every year? We do that. So our our school year is uh, January to December. Um, and what's nice with that is it obviously lines up to kind of end of year and really thinking about how the year has gone at school, personally, uh, New Year's resolutions. And I, I, I'm using my fingers to put that in inverted commas because um, we don't believe in resolutions in our house. Um, but one of the things that we do instead of resolutions is we create a word for the year and each person has to come up with their own. It's not a family word, right? Um, everybody has to have a word that they want to live by um, for that year. And last, at the beginning of this year, so last December for this year, we all try to come up with a word in a different language. Um, and that was also something, and that and the reason that that came is for me, I, I chose a word in a different language. And when Anavi asked, why didn't you choose English? I said, because it just doesn't translate the same way. I learned this word and it's so meaningful in Swahili, uh, but it, and, and there is a word for it in English, but it, it's not the same. And so then it became a thing of, we all want a word in a different language. Um, so actually part of the holiday became reading different words in different languages, finding these beautiful words that don't translate as easily, that are you know not into one word anyway. And each person set an intention for the year in a different language. Um, and that openness to learning, that openness to intention setting, that you know, I, I think it was so much fun at the same time. This has been such a wonderful series. I think, would you agree with me? I mean, I, I, I know I obsess a little bit about the concept of benchmarks and people, people judging other people based on themselves being the benchmark and how much that gets you know, are you taller than me or shorter than me, cleverer than me, less clever than me, faster than me, not as fast as me, um, whatever. Um, benchmarks are such a problem. But the other thing is so important, isn't it, to realize as a mother that your daughter is not going to be another you, that not to judge your daughter even against you yourself as the benchmark but to recognize that she is a separate human being who will do things differently and indeed may not have these conversations with her own nine-year-old daughter. And that's okay. I mean, I really hope she does, but yes, <laughs> it is okay. I'm joking about that. But I think, you know, with Anavi, it's hard as a mom or as anybody in a position of responsibility, when your daughter says, I want to be just like you, to not feel completely flattered by that and want to nurture that feeling and, and say, I love it. Yes, you're my mini me or let's, you know, and it, and it really takes conscious choice and intentionality to say, 
you are always going to be very similar to me because we are mother and daughter. But it's really important that you also understand where and why you're different and it's okay. And that that can change. And I, and I think change is the really important word is, and it, and it comes back to that conversation I was saying about Anavi wanting to be a conservation biologist and not wanting to change her mind because she doesn't want to seem flaky. But why is change acceptable and encouraged and amazing because you'll only change something if you're curious about it and you're learning about it and you're developing about it and so it's okay if when you're eight nine fifteen say I want to be just like you but as as you learn more about me that will change and that's fine um and as you learn more about the world and as you learn more about yourself that will change and and it's only these conversations that are going to foster that for herself. Um, and I think the other the other aspect is being really authentic about your mistakes. Um, and I and I talked about being perfect is boring. The way that I had to really practice that with Anavin, she she did have a little bit of handwriting anxiety. You know, like if her, if it's not perfect, she rubs it all out and she starts again. And um, what I started doing was coming home and telling her about the mistakes I had made at work that day. And just to show her that that's okay. But also what that means is there are aspects that she now realizes, I don't want to be just like my mom. And I think that's really awesome. Um, and, and the other aspect is I still say to her, when I grow up, I, um, and there are often times where I say, when I grow up, I want to be like you, Anavi. And, you know, she'll do something that I'm really proud of. And usually it's, honestly, to do with kindness towards others. Um, she is one of the kindest people I know. And I will often tell her that when I grow up, Barnaby, I want to be kind like you to my friends. And she'll laugh at me and she'll say, mommy, you are grown up. And I'll say, no, I am not fully grown. And in things like kindness, I still have so much room to grow. And I'm learning from you as I grow in that way. And so that's another way that I'm showing her that she doesn't have to be like me. We want to be like her in some ways. Now we turn to Anavi herself. The other half in these conversations in cars about leading. The impact of the conversations was to me deeply self-evident when I spoke to our Navi. I like leading things, I'm a little bit bossy. I, when we do like group projects, I'm normally the leader because it's just in me. And do you think bossy people are good leaders? Well, if they're the right kind of bossy. Because if you're really bossy, like too bossy, you want everything your way, but you don't take note of others' opinions, then then you're not really a good leader. But if you take note, yet still make the final decision and make sure everyone's happy with it, then you're a good leader. And are you good at it? Sometimes. Do you see lots of leaders around you? Yeah. Some of my friends are really leaders, so it's kind of hard to work against each other sometimes. We all have different ideas for 
so then it's kind of hard. So what do you do then? I don't know. We just make up a final decision because we're friends. So we all have something similar that we like. Women are great leaders because we are gentle and strong at the same time. So you think women are very gentle? You think women are more gentle than boys? Definitely. But at the same time, you think they're stronger? They're not, they're not really stronger, but they're strong. Because they're not stronger because men have pushed them down a little bit. But they're still strong. So if they fight more, if we fight more, then that means that everybody will be fair. Men will see that women can do things too, and not just them. Yeah. Sometimes you think the world is made for men, don't you? Sometimes I feel that, but sometimes I feel a sense of rebellion. I want to rebel, rebel against that. But you want to be a kind and strong rebel. Yeah, so that I don't hurt them, yet at the same time I can tell them, you have to let us. We're not going to stand here just fussing over you. We're going to be stronger. We want to make our dreams come true. If you do more leading, what will you want to what what would you want to achieve? Is there a problem you want to solve? I'd like to change patriarchy. I don't like the way women are always an underthought. They they're seconded to men even if they're better. So I want to change that and I want to make it equivalent for everybody. Why do you think your mum hasn't done that already? Mm, she started, I, I'm sure of that. She's working towards it. But you're going to take it further? Yeah. Because I want to be a conservation biologist, and most of the people who are conservation biologists are men. And so I want to wow everybody and say, I'm a woman, this is what I would like, would like to do, and this is what I am going to do. Thank you to you both. Priyanka and Arnavi, what a double act you are. Um, I cannot think of a better way of starting 2024. Um, I'm planning lots of conversations in cars now, with my granddaughters. I've started early. Rhea is only four years old, but we've started already. And it has to be said, I do remember that Priyanka said that um, I should get on with it now because um, she'll soon be five. And by the age of five, you start the unlearning process. Uh, so I'm getting in there early with Rhea. And, and, and I've started talking to Poppy too. She's, I accept, only four months, but only four months old. She's pretty small. Um, but I've started with her, uh, though it has to be said, the conversations are slightly one way just at the moment, but only for now.
But speaking to you, Priyanka, I am absolutely clear how crucial these conversations are. Because as we go into 2024, um, the, the world feels in many ways like it's going backwards. So we are going to need these young, bright, amazing women leaders to reverse things again um, and to make a break with the past. So Happy New Year to you all. I am sure you have loved the last three episodes. Lots of love, Julia. There's also loads more you can learn from other women if you go to our website, womenemerging.org. That's womenemerging.org. Over time, we are determined to redefine leading so that more of us can say, if that's leading, I'm in. 